reading this morning is from Luke chapter 11, verses 27 to 36. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of God be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the, la- is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. And when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will wholly be bright as when a lamp with rays gives you light. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ruth. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you again. Um, if you don't know me, my name's Alan. I'm one of the pastors here in the church at Village. Um, I've been away for the last three weeks on holiday. Uh, it was lovely. It's, uh, it's good to be back, though. It is. I do genuinely mean that. It's great to see your faces again. Um, and yeah, we had a great time away. It was lovely and, and relaxing. So um, thank you for your prayers and your well wishes for our holidays. Well, I know a lot of you have um, been uh, praying for us and, and hoping that we did have a good time. So thank you. Um, now I'm going to start this morning uh, talking about my wife, my amazing wife. Um, I love her to bits. Uh, it's her birthday today, actually, so if you see her, you can, uh, you can wish her a happy birthday. But um, I'm not talking, to her, talking about her for that reason, uh, but I'm talking about her because there is uh, something that I've always had to work through in uh, my relationship with Jean uh, throughout our, our time together, uh, and it's that Jean just doesn't get sport. She just doesn't get it. Not one bit. And if you know me, I'm like sport through and through. Cut me and I bleed sport, that kind of thing. Um, and Jane's just not fussed about it. Any sport at all. Um, and there are times in our marriage whenever uh, I'll try and uh, you know, talk to her about sport. I'm really excited about some sporting event that's going on. The Ashes at the moment, I'm just loving it. Or, or the Wimbledon final, for example. Uh, and I'm just buzzing watching it. And, and I want someone, you know, you, you just want someone to tell. You just want to share the, the joy of it with. Uh, you just want to explain what's so incredible about it. And, and I turn to Jane and I, and I start talking to her and I can see in her face, she's, she's just looking at me, but she's not listening. Her eyes are just glazed over Uh, And she'll say something usually like, very good. (laughs) And and I'm thinking, very good? It's unbelievable, Jane. Like, uh, it's unbelievable, the ashes. Or or the Wimbledon final today, unbelievable. But she just doesn't get it. And I'm just thinking, you you just don't see it like I do. We're maybe watching the same thing, but we see it in, in completely different ways. 
And you know, there's a lot of chat uh, about how the kind of cultural winds towards, towards Christianity are, are changing here. Things are maybe moving more towards hostility, uh, towards Christianity and, and the things of Jesus Christ. But honestly, from my experience, I've come across much more apathy than hostility. I don't know if that's the same with you. I've met so many more people who, whose approach to Christianity and to Jesus Christ is more like Jane's approach to sport. They just don't get what the fuss is all about. They're not bothered. They don't think they need Jesus, and therefore they, they just don't bother with Jesus. And even though I might try and enthusiastically explain what's so incredible about life with him, they just don't get it. They don't see things the way I do. And maybe that's your experience as a Christian too this morning. Or maybe you're here and you are that person. You just can't understand why people around you take living for Jesus so seriously. Friends tell you to look at Jesus, to investigate his claims in the Bible, but you wonder why. What's so special about him? What's special enough about him to listen to him? to even devote your life to following him. Well, as we continue our series in Luke's gospel this morning, in our passage, what we see is Jesus talking to a crowd of people who, who just can't seem to see why they should take him so seriously. They don't get it. And what Jesus does is he really spells it out for them. He explains to them in the plainest way possible why why listening to him, why following him is so important. He says to them, how you respond to me is actually a matter of life or death. It's that serious. It's not like sport or anything else in life. It, there's much more at stake than all of that. Because for those who follow me, there is life. But for those who ignore me, who reject me, there is death. So firstly, this morning, for those who follow Jesus, there is life. Now, I know um, Thomas covered this short section last week, and I'm not correcting anything he did because he did a great job, uh, but I think it's important to go back and look at these verses because I think there's definitely a connection between verses 27 and 28 and what comes after, and hopefully I'll show you why this morning as we go through it. Remember what we have is we have this woman who's in the crowd and she doesn't really know how to respond to Jesus, uh, but she says something that I can imagine my mom saying. What, what a lovely boy you are, Jesus. Uh, or, uh, you know, your mother must be so proud of you. And do you see what she says? She says, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But Jesus says to her, I'll tell you who is blessed. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, what is the word that God wants us to hear? Well, back in chapter 9, we, we heard the word of God say of Jesus, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. In other words, what God wants us to hear is the word he speaks to us through his son, Jesus. And what is his son saying to us? Well, Come back with me again to, to Luke chapter 9, verse 22. This is a key passage in Luke's gospel. It takes us right to the heart of what God is saying to us through Jesus. Verse 22, Jesus said this, the Son of Man, that's him talking about himself, 
The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Killed and on the third day be raised. Not might be, but must be. It's striking, isn't it? What he's saying is that his death, it is not an accident. His death is the plan. His death is the very reason he has come. And why has he come to die? Well, he explains elsewhere that it's by his death that he pays the price to set the captives free. Those who are held in captivity to sin and death, his death releases them. So in other words, God wants us to hear that Jesus has not just come to be a good teacher with some good things to say that we can apply to our lives. No, he has come to be our savior, to die in our place, to die to set us free. He is the savior we all need. And look again at verse 22, because he must die, but he also must be raised in the third day, raised to life again. See, he is the one who death cannot hold. He's not like anyone else who has ever lived. Jesus Christ, he lived, he died, but then he rose to life again. He, he is bigger than death. He is the one who has the power over the grave because he is the Lord of life. The Lord who is worthy of our highest praise and worship. The Lord we will all one day bow before. So do you see why God wants us to listen to him? Because he is the savior of the world. And he is the Lord of life. And this Savior and Lord calls us to follow him. And Jesus has been spending his time in these last few chapters explaining to the people who are following him what following him actually looks like. Chapter 9, verse 23 is the very crux of it. He said this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. To follow Jesus means saying no to self and yes to him, whatever the cost. Whatever the cost. It's obeying him, whatever the cost. And that's hard. That is really hard because naturally our hearts are bent towards self. We want to live in our world our way. We want to write the story of our own lives with us at the center but the truth is, that's why everything has gone wrong in the first place. Because it's not our world. It's his. And we don't write our own story. We find ourselves in his story. And so he calls us to deny ourselves, to say no to ourselves, and to say yes to him because he is the savior we need and he is the Lord we were created to live for. And he says to each one of us, follow me. Entrust your life to me. Listen to me. And maybe in, in all honesty, as you hear that, you kind of shrink from it a wee bit. Because you maybe think it sounds really restrictive. It sounds that it will ruin life rather than give life. But you see, Jesus says in our passage this morning in verse 28, that listening to him and obeying him it is the way that we actually enjoy life, experience life, blessing. That's what he says. 
And we've seen this before as we've worked through our series in Luke's Gospel. Because live by Jesus' words, and Jesus says it's like standing on a rock in a stormy sea. We won't be swept away. We'll be safe when judgment comes. Jesus says, live by my words, and it's like seeds that are sown in your heart. Those seeds, they take root, and they grow, and they bear good fruit, which leads to life. His word transforms us to be the people that we actually really long to be. Or he says, live by my words, and and me, the Lord of the whole universe, I call you my brothers and sisters, members of my own family, dearly loved by me and my Father. That's what Jesus calls us to, life with God, the life we were created for, which starts now and lasts forever. And I wonder this morning, do you know that life? Have you experienced that life of blessing with God? Maybe you do know that blessing. Maybe you do know what life is like with Jesus. And so you're maybe sitting there and you're thinking, this sermon isn't really for me. But, but you know that, that life following Jesus isn't always sunshine and roses, is it? You know that. Maybe you're experiencing that right now. That following Jesus, that saying no to self and yes to him is actually really, really hard right now. Maybe it's costing you in ways that you never thought it would. And perhaps you find yourself at a crossroads in life at the moment where you're tempted to hear Jesus in his word, but to go the other way, to say no to Jesus and yes to self. But do you hear what Jesus says to you this morning? Will you sit in this for a minute today, for a moment this week? Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it blessed. That's a word for you. Obedience to Jesus leads to life. The whole reason Luke has written his gospel is to give you certainty about that. So will you believe that? Will you trust Jesus in that? Maybe you you don't know the blessing of life with Jesus, the the blessing that he's talking about here, but you've heard the word of God. You've listened to what it says. You've heard the call to follow him. Maybe you sit this morning and, and you respect Jesus in some ways. You maybe even admire him. You might even call yourself a Christian at times. You come along to church But in your heart of hearts, you know that that you're not really listening to him. You're not really obeying him. You can't help but feel that there are other people around you that that take his word a bit too seriously, actually. They make you feel a bit bad about yourself, even. Because you know that the truth is your life is in your own hands right now. You hear what Jesus says about relationships, about money, about ambitions, and you're not really willing to surrender to him. You're not really willing to to let go of your life and to, to hand it over to him, to entrust it to him. Please understand, there is no blessing in that. You're not living in the fullness of the life that Jesus is calling you into. Do you know another thing that I thought about in this was that when we think of others in our lives who, who don't maybe yet know Jesus Christ, there are maybe lots of things that we want for them, 
lots of concerns that we have for them. Maybe we're concerned about their health, or maybe we're concerned about, about the results they might get in their exams, or maybe we're concerned that they're just really happy and content with what they have in life. Jesus is reminding us this morning that, that more than anything else, what those people need is to hear and to obey his word. That is their greatest need. That is what matters most. That's the only way that those people will, will truly know blessing, life, the life they were created for. So above all, what I think Jesus would call us to do is to pray for those people, that they would know what life is really like with him. Pray for our spouse. Pray for our children. Pray for our work colleagues. Pray for others that we love and care. Pray for them and point them to the life that only Jesus can offer, the life of blessing that's found in him. Jesus says that for those who follow me, there is life. But secondly, he says, for those who ignore me, there is death. This is verses 29 to 32. Look at it with me for a moment. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. Now, why does Jesus call them that? It seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? But the truth is, Jesus knows what following him looks like for these people, how they are following him. And they're not following him for him. They're not. They don't want him. They don't want what he's got to say. They don't want to listen to him. They don't want to obey him. What they want from him is to see more, more miracles. They want more evidence, more signs. But the thing is, Jesus has already done a miracle. Just a few moments before, there was a man we saw last week who was mute, who's now speaking. And the crowd say, give us another one. And Jesus says, no, because you've been given enough already, enough to see who I am, enough to see why you really need me, enough to see why I'm worth following. And all you're doing is avoiding the evidence that's before you. See, the problem isn't with the information that you have. The problem is with the inclination of your hearts. Your hearts don't want me. Your ears won't listen to me. You don't think you need me. And you know, I have some non-Christian friends who when I ask them what they believe or what they really think about Jesus, they kind of skirt around the question a little bit and ultimately they say something along these lines. You know, I just need more, more time, more evidence. You know, if Jesus appeared to me now, maybe I would believe. Or, or if I had seen the things that he did back then in the Bible, maybe I would believe. But it's just hard to believe now. It all seems very far-fetched. Things with science just mean that it doesn't seem to line up really with the Bible. Some things that, that Jesus teaches in the Bible as well, they, they just don't fit well in our culture now, do they? But the truth is, with, with those people, many of them, most of them, have rarely, if ever, given Jesus a proper look. And often somebody who says they need more proof is actually not that interested in weighing up the evidence that's before them already. And Jesus describes this crowd here as evil. It's pretty startling, isn't it? And what he means is that, that 
No one comes to him in neutral. No one does. Everyone comes to him with a heart that's kind of bent in one direction. And the direction that we see here that he says in this crowd is that that they don't really want anything to do with him. They don't want to live for him or to obey him. And, And to people like that, Jesus says in verse 29, you want a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. Now, maybe you know the, the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. He was a prophet sent by God to the Assyrian city of Nineveh. Uh, and they weren't a very nice bunch at all. They uh, were rampantly wicked and they were totally anti-God. And Jonah went, uh, or he was sent, sorry, to, to warn them of God's coming judgment against their wickedness. But Jonah was reluctant to go because he knew that, that God was gracious and compassionate. And he knew that if the people of Nineveh listened to the word of God, through him that they would experience God's blessing rather than his judgment. And the truth is, Jonah didn't want that for them. He thought that they deserved God's judgment. And so he tried to run from God. He he jumped on a ship. He goes in the opposite direction from Nineveh. But God knows what he's doing, and he he chases him down, and he sends a storm, uh, and Jonah ends up in the sea, and he's swallowed up by a great fish. He spends three days in the fish, and is spat out then onto dry land, And eventually Jonah then does listen to God and he he goes to Nineveh and and he calls the people there to repent and to turn to God, which they eventually do. They hear and they obey and they repent and they do receive God's blessing rather than his judgment. And Jesus says in the same way that, that Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, he, the son of man, will be a sign to this generation. Now, in what sense was Jonah a sign? Well, The Ninevites looked at Jonah, standing up there, preaching to them, and they saw that there really is a God who cares enough about them to call them to turn from their wickedness and to turn back to him so that they might experience his blessing. That's what they saw in Jonah. And Jesus says at the end of verse 32, behold, something greater than Jonah is here before you. Jesus says, I am the greater Jonah. Where Jonah was reluctant to go and offer salvation to the Ninevite people, Jesus was willing and he came to this world offering salvation to all people. Remember chapter 9, verse 52? That kind of turning point, Jesus has turned his face and set his face towards Jerusalem. He wasn't going to Jerusalem to just preach about God's judgment. He was going to Jerusalem to experience God's judgment for sinful people like you and me. For the very people who rejected God and went their own way, Jesus was going to die in their place so that they might experience the blessing of God forever. Where Jonah was raised from the depths of the sea in that way, Jesus was raised from the depths of the grave. And as Jonah stood before the evil Ninevites, Jesus is saying in the same way, I stand before an evil world. I'm calling this world to turn to its loving creator before it's too late. You want a sign? You want proof that there is a God? Jesus says, look at me. Look at me. God could not have sent a greater sign than me. Because when you look at me, you see that there really is a God who cares about this world who loves this world. He loves this world enough to not just send another prophet, 
but to send his own beloved son to come to live the life that we never could and to die the death that all of us deserve. Jesus' life and death and resurrection is all the proof that we need to show us that there is a God who deeply loves us despite our flaws, who is willing to forgive us despite of all the ways that we've gone wrong, and who wants nothing more than to have a restored relationship with us. Jesus proves that. The Ninevites listened to Jonah. So how much more should we listen to Jesus? And then in verse 31, Jesus talks about something else that we might find a bit strange. This bit about the Queen of the South or the Queen of Sheba. Now, who is she? Well, back in in the Old Testament in 1 Kings 10, uh, this African queen, she's incredibly powerful and wealthy. She's heard rumors about a king, a king that's worth seeing. He's a king that she's heard has been appointed by the one true God who speaks the wisdom of God. And so she wants to see him for herself. And even though she's an incredibly busy woman who's running her empire, even though uh, that she lives thousands of miles away from Jerusalem and Solomon's palace, verse 31 says, she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Meeting this king, hearing from God mattered that much to her. She made it her priority. And so you can read in 1 Kings 10, she goes and she listens to Solomon, to the wisdom that he has, and she can hardly believe what she hears. She's dumbfounded. She she can hardly believe what she sees in his kingdom as well. Solomon's people are happy. They are blessed to be living in his kingdom because he is a king who was wise, who ruled with wisdom. And why was he wise? Because he lived in God's ways. He listened and he obeyed God's word. And so the queen of Sheba, she blesses the God of Israel and he in turn blesses her as she goes. And it's a story that Jesus tells now as a kind of rebuke to this generation Because Jesus says in verse 31, behold, something greater than Solomon is here. I am here. The very wisdom of God incarnate is here. Solomon possessed the wisdom of God, but Jesus is the wisdom of God. And if the queen of the south listened to Solomon and his wisdom, how much more should we listen to Jesus? If anyone is going to know the way to live in this world with wisdom, it's Jesus. He knows what's best for us. You know, he wants what is best for us too. I think at times we doubt that. We don't believe that. He has called us to follow him and obey him so that we experience the blessing of life with him. And maybe we we hear all this and we still think, yeah, but why? Me? Why do I really need this blessing of Jesus that he's talking about here? I'm fine. I am what the world might say is hashtag blessed, you know? I've got lots of things, lots of good things. Why would I bother with Jesus and what he's got to say? Well, the reason why is because this passage shows us that in the end we will not be fine without Jesus. None of us 
will be blessed if we ignore him. Because the truth is, there is a day of judgment coming. And I know that that language like that, talking about judgment, we, we shrink from it. But for a moment, think about it in terms of justice. A day of justice. We, we long in this world for justice to be done, don't we? We want wrong things to be made right. And the Bible says there is good news, hope for our world, because justice will be done. Perfect justice. Because there is a perfect judge. Jesus is Lord. It's his world. And we are here to live for him and to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. And he says there is a day coming when we will stand before him and face his verdict on our lives as to whether we have obeyed him and lived in that kind of way. And on that day, if we are people who did not take him seriously, who didn't think that he was worth the bother, Jesus says, the queen of the south will condemn us. Verse 31. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. She will say, I I was a busy queen with lots occupying my time, a busy, heavy workload. But I took the trouble to travel from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon, and I was blessed for doing it. But you couldn't bring yourself now to listen to the claims of Jesus because you thought you had better things to do. You thought you knew better. Now you stand condemned. And on that day when we stand before Jesus, if we didn't take him seriously, he says in verse 32 that the men of Nineveh will rise up and condemn us as well. They'll say, God sent his son to save you. And you kept saying you needed more proof, that you needed more evidence, but you never actually looked at the truth in front of you. We listened to Jonah and his word, but you wouldn't listen to Jesus. You wouldn't look at what he's done, his life, his death, his resurrection, what that means for you. You wouldn't listen and repent. And so now you stand condemned. It's very striking what Jesus is saying here. Those who hear and obey, blessing. Those who ignore and reject, condemned. Nothing matters more than how we respond to Jesus. We cannot have an approach to him like my wife Jane's approach to sport. We can't just glaze over and nod our head and say, very good, very good. Jesus says, for those who hear me and follow me, there is life, but for those who ignore me, there is death. And in verses 33 to 36, as we kind of draw towards the finish here, Jesus kind of pulls all this together. He says, take great care how you listen to me. Take great care how you are seeing me. People are making out that that the problem is, if Jesus is the sign, then he's a little bit obscure. He's not made himself very obvious. But Jesus says in verse 33, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Now what he's saying here is common sense, really. No one goes to the trouble of buying a light, and then they, they put the lamp under a bowl, 
or, or put it in a cupboard somewhere out of the way where it's not going to even light the room that it was brought, uh, brought in uh, to, to light. And Jesus is saying, I am the light. I have come into the darkness of the world and I am not hidden. I'm not under a bowl. I've not concealed myself. I am there on a stand, there for everyone to see. And we might say, well, well if that's the case, then, then if Jesus is so plainly visible, why doesn't everyone see him? And Jesus kind of changes the, the lamp imagery to, to help us understand why. Look at verse 34. He, he kind of changes it and he says that, that the lamp lights up the whole room, but whether you can see the lamp depends on, on, on the eyes that you have, the kind of lamp of your eyes. See that verse 34? Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light, but when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. See the contrast? Spiritually speaking, Jesus, he's not speaking biologically here, he's speaking spiritually. So spiritually, there are good eyes or bad eyes. There are healthy eyes or unhealthy eyes, open eyes or closed eyes. And the healthy eyes, the open eyes, they, they see the light and it shines in. And it's like your eyes then light up or illuminate your whole body. You see what's around you. You see the way to go. But unhealthy eyes, closed eyes, then it means you stay in darkness. You cannot see. Close your eyes for a wee minute. Just humor me for a moment. Close your eyes. Now, the lights are still on in this room. I can still see. But for you, it's like you're in the dark. If I asked you to, to get up and, and to make your way out to your parked car, to walk home with your eyes shut, it would be pretty hard, wouldn't it? You'd be tripping over things. You'd be bumping into things. What's the problem here? Nothing has changed with the lights. They're still on in this room. They're still shining. But the problem is with your eyes. It's like you're blind. You can't see. You're in darkness because your eyes are shut. Now you can open your eyes again. Because what Jesus is saying here, with our eyes we see, as in we understand. We see what Jesus is saying. We get it. We get it. And Jesus is saying, this evil generation, they, they don't come to me in neutral. They come to me with eyes that are closed to me. With bad eyes in that sense. Eyes that don't want to see. Eyes that don't want to get it. And we, like them, we might say, I see no evidence for Jesus. I see no proof for Jesus. But Jesus says, you don't want to see any of it. And his point is that, that if we don't see who Jesus is, it really matters because he is light. And if we stay blind to him, then we stay in the darkness. That's what he says in verse 35. That's why he gives this kind of encouragement. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. See that you're not left in the dark. How, how do we do that? How do we see Jesus? Well, have you ever thought about why you can't see? Have you ever thought about the reason you can't see that it might be because, not because the evidence is thin, but because you're, you're just not open to seeing it. I have a friend uh, from university days who became a Christian a couple of years ago. And it was really surprising when he did, actually, because 
At university, he had seemed so interested in in Jesus and, and so close to believing in him. But then, for no reason really, it kind of all cooled off and all petered out. And when I asked him a while back, what happened? What, what changed to make him believe or to help him understand what, what believing in Jesus, why did he came to that? He said, do you know, back at uni, I knew it was true. But for so many reasons, I didn't want it to be true. Probably the biggest of all being that following Jesus' way didn't seem as appealing as following my own. But I came to realize that's just not the truth. And you know, watching this guy over the last couple of years, um, he's different. He really is. It's not that his life has just all of a sudden become really easy because he's a Christian, but he's, he's got a different perspective in all of it. His priorities are different. The peace that he has in life is different. He says that his purpose is very different. He doesn't feel lost or, or like he's in the dark, like he's aimless. He says that he feels like he's got a purpose and a reason now to live. And that's because he's no longer walking in the darkness. He's been filled with the light of life, Jesus Christ. He's experiencing verse 36. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. You see Jesus, you let his light flood in fill in your mind and your body and your soul and you start to see what it means to really live. You see that there is a God who loves you, who's forgiven you, who will never, ever give up on you. You see that the the things that matter to him are the things that matter most in life. You see that, that following his word, obeying his word, Yes, it might be hard, but but it really is the way that leads to life, to blessing in life. If you're a Christian this morning, this matters. What Jesus says here matters to you. Because like me, this week, the danger will be that, that something will happen, something will come across your path that will tempt you to turn a blind eye to Jesus. There is gonna be something that that will tempt you to to go this way rather than to go his way. Jesus says, trust me, listen to me, and I lead you in the way of blessing in life. Jesus says, pray that your eyes will be fixed on him. Pray that sin wouldn't creep in and blur your vision of him, but that it would be so crystal clear that the light would come in and pervade your whole being so that your whole body would be lit by him and led by him. And if you're not a Christian this morning, and maybe you still can't see what's so special about Jesus, you don't get why he's worth following, well, the truth is there isn't a problem with the light. The problem is with your eyes. You don't see See the warning in this passage, but most importantly, more importantly, see the invitation. The invitation that Jesus gives to you. See why you desperately need him as your savior and Lord. See that Jesus came to be everything that you need, all that you need. 
And if you, you trust in him, if you see him and let the light come in, well then, you won't stay in the dark anymore. Your, light, your life sorry, will be lit up by him, the one who gives life. You can ask him to do that today. You can ask him to come in to fill your body with light, to transform your life, to lead you in the way of blessing. You can ask him to do that. And as we finish up and as we come to the table, this meal for us as Christians, it acts as a sign, really. It's a sign that we see with our eyes. It's a sign that that helps us to remember, to remember what Jesus has done. It's a sign of his sacrifice at the cross. The bread symbolizing his body broken for us, the wine symbolizing his blood shed for us. And we come as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to remember, to have our eyes opened and our vision restored of his glory and his goodness towards us, to remember that he loves us, that he gave himself for us so that we could be restored to God and that life of blessing that we were created for. As you come to the table this morning, ask God to restore your vision of Jesus Christ. And if you're not a Christian yet, as you stand and as you sing, maybe this morning you ask God to open your eyes for the first time to see Jesus for who he really is. Maybe you ask him to, to take that veil away, that, to open your blind eyes and for you to be, to be able to see the, the wonder and the truth of Jesus and what life with him is really like. This meal isn't yet for you, but Jesus Christ very much is. So will you trust in him? Stand with me now. We're going to pray, and then we're going to come to the meal together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through your word you have chosen to reveal yourself to us, to reveal your glory, your grace, your kindness, your love. We pray that that our eyes would be open to see Jesus Christ, the light of life, and that his light would fill our lives, that it would just pervade our, our very being, every part of our lives, and transform us to live for you and for your glory. Lord, would you do that for us? because we cannot do it on our own. We want good eyes. So many of us in this room want good eyes. But Lord, there are so many things in this world that can distract us, so many things that can blur our vision of Jesus. Lord, restore our vision of Jesus today. And for those who don't yet trust in Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would impress upon them just how wonderful knowing Jesus really is what life with him is really like, the blessing of that life. Lord, I pray that you would help them see their need of Jesus. Help them see that that Jesus has done all that they need. He died and he rose to life to offer life to them, life with you forever. Lord, we pray all these things in your son's Jesus' name. Amen.